All right, everybody, welcome back. We are here. This is the Text Lab podcast. Will Watson and myself from David Crawl from the Green Room at Vintage Grace Church. Will, it's almost baseball playoff season. How are you feeling about that? I'm feeling great. I love baseball playoffs. We've the Giants really... are in the playoffs. Uh, oh, dude, you didn't have to go there, man. I was going to say, like, we had Pools hit 700. We have Judge, who just hit 61 yesterday. So it's a great time for baseball. Just don't talk about my Giants, all right? Touch little, subject. little rough for the Bay Area teams this year. Well, this is not a baseball podcast. This is the Text Lab for our listeners who don't know, where every single week we dive into the text to help you prepare for your life group this week. Our goal is very simple, to help you be a disciple who makes disciples. So whether you're leading a life group, just doing some deep dive on your own, we hope this helps you have a meaningful study, reflection, and conversation about what God has said to us in his word. We are in Romans chapter 2. I almost said Revelation. We are not in Revelation. We're in Romans 2, uh, verse 2 through 5. Will, dive in for us. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impotent heart, You are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Well, I think we're in for a good discussion today because this is a fascinating piece of scripture to me because you hear people use this in kind of a million different ways, um, often when maybe a celebrity or some sort of like star, like singer, somebody does something that makes some news and you hear people say, hey, don't judge don't judge. And it's used even in different places as kind of this like way to say live and let live or kind of expressing some sort of like subjective morality, moral relativism of like, well, you know, who am I to judge when it's clear and obvious that somebody shouldn't be doing something. So I think there's an interesting question here of what does Paul mean when he is talking about not judging? What is the difference between not judging versus also having no real guidelines, character, uh, understanding in our heads of the character and nature of God. What's the difference between those two things? Well, I think that it, it comes to what are we marked by? Are we marked by judging others and telling and specifically telling them an answer that they're not asking? Or are we judged by how are we looking at ourselves and our own sinful nature? Because the reality here of this text isn't discrediting the character nature of God. It isn't discrediting, as we talked about last week, like, like it's not discrediting sin. Like that is the difference. Like God is the one who deals with sin. He's saying, Oh, you think you're the one who's dealing with sin. That's actually your sin. Like You're doing the same stuff that these people are doing, but you're the ones who are saying, oh, I am better than 
these other people. And so what's happening here is like, it's all the same thing, creator, creature, divide. It's the creature trying to become the creator. And so what we have here is this text is showing us God is going to judge regardless of what the sin itself is. He is the one who judges because creature is trying to become creator. And as you think about Paul's authorial intent in these first few verses, I think one of the main things that he's trying to do in chapter one that we looked at last week and here in chapter two is level the playing field and really establish really clearly in his audience's mind that you are a broken, depraved sinner in need of God's grace. That's where Paul is going to go in Genesis 3 and Genesis 4 as we get into Abraham and righteousness that comes from faith. And so he's really kind of saying, oh, look, 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 you are no better because of anything you have done. You're no better because you're an Israelite that Paul will continue to get into later on in the chapter, which would have been one of their main dividing issues in the church is the the relationship horizontally between uh, Israelites and Jews and Gentiles, but then also vertically between Jews and Gentiles. And Paul's just really settling that and leveling the playing field here to really say, you who pass judgment on other people, look at verse three, you do those same things. And really like when you're doing that, when you're judging, you're presuming on the riches of his kindness, his patience, his forbearance, um, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Talk about that a little bit more, because I think that's a key verse here in this text. What do you think Paul's trying to communicate to his audience when he's when he's talking about God's kindness that leads us to repentance? Yeah, I think that, I mean, again, everything we talked about last uh, time when we talked about what sin is and how we're able to step into relationships with people who are sinning is like, God's so patient with us. He's so patient with us every single time we sin, every time that we want to get back on the throne of the hearts, every time we have one cheek faith, like all of this stuff, God is so patient with us to draw us back to himself and say, actually, that's my spot. Actually, like he taps on the shoulder and says, you're, you're there. Like that's, that's his reign in his rule and his kingdom that we get to live and walk in a rightful place. So, so what I think happening is happening here is the same thing. Like, man, we don't, I think this is so important and there's been so many things over the years that, um, I know in my life I have done this poorly. We don't convict people of sin. That's the work of God in his patience, in his kindness, in his to draw us back to um, lead us to repentance. Because it's realizing that God at any moment um, could cut us down because we have traded the identity of who God is for who we want him to be, which is ourselves. And so what we end up hap- what we end up happening here is like this kindness and this grace that we see is designed to show us of our sin nature, like against a holy, righteous, perfect God and realizing like, oh, I can turn because Jesus has paid the penalty for me. And at the same time that we do not convict others of sin, I think it's important to also say it's not that we don't have conversations about what sin is or what sin isn't. Paul here is talking very specifically, very strongly to the Roman church about their sin. So at the same moment he says, don't judge, 
He's not suddenly judging by telling them don't judge because he's talking to them about their sin. What he's talking about is that we each are broken. We each are in need of God's grace. We each are um, desperate and dependent sinners in our own right. And really to, to not presume on God's grace, to not presume on his kindness, recognizing that we ourselves are broken and in need of of that grace ourselves and really just this posture of humility that we come before God with recognizing his kindness and his grace, but not kind of praying on that in kind of this cheap grace type of way, thinking, especially to his audience, that they would have automatically been maybe um, grafted into salvation because they were Jews, which he'll continue to unpack in the next couple of chapters. But really to recognize that in their own heart, they need God's grace. They need God's forgiveness. And so so what does that look like as we live life with other people Um not judging them. What does that what does that actually look like in our own lives? And really what does it look like to kind of look at our own heart first and recognize the own our own sin first? Well, and I think it's the same thing that we saw it last week in like God like people know that there is a God out there. People want to make it them like whatever they want to make it, but like they recognize that like there is a higher power a divine sovereign lord there's a difference between that and an experiential understanding of grace and so how do we go and that's i think what the question that you're trying to get at is like how do we help people realize like like this god is is the one who is on the throne is the king but he actually means something to us and i think that what what you said earlier crawl was like money where it's like oh no we get to step in with people in the midst of their brokenness of realizing like you're not ever going to save yourself like you're you can't save yourself from your own sin because your nature loves it you need something bigger than yourself you need something outside of yourself and you need someone jesus to take the place of the punishment for that sin like that's the humility factor that we get to step into it's actually like that's the kindness that we get to say it's not a rough rigid rigid like difficult um it's not a heavy burden that we're placing on people we're actually saying like oh no Jesus is inviting you into rest. He's saying like, my yoke is like my, um, burden, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying like, this is actually where freedom is found. It's found in the gospel. So what that means is, is like we walk with people as people are revealed of their sin, as they understand that this is a circumstance that's happening because of what they've done or what they've been experiencing as, um, people trying to be the creator. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think in that there is this real invitation to step into the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience. But his kindness is so rich because look at verse five, there is real wrath against sin and against evil, God's righteous judgment that will be revealed. We, we, we spent a lot of time talking about that in the Revelation series, that you hold both of those together at the same 
time. God isn't just kind of this divine Santa Claus that's up in the sky. There is this real wrath and judgment that will come against sin. And so you hold both of those together at the same time. And really, I think Paul's direction here is to not be one that is judging others in this in this place of God, but to recognize that we are the creation, um, which leads us really to repent of our own sin and to call others to repent. It's really this, this call to recognize that God is on the throne, that he rules, that he reigns. And and how do we continually repent of our own sin? I think for me, as I think about practical implications from this this week, it really is just living in this place of humility, recognizing every single day, hey, this isn't about um, me looking at other people's sin, comparing other people's sins, thinking of myself as better or higher, but how do I recognize just the real depravity of my own sinful nature, my own need for God, um, and come before the cross, like you said, every single day in repentance for my sin, um, hating my own sin, going before God to receive the riches of his kindness, his patience, um, that does then lead us to repentance. What about for you, Will? Just practical takeaways from this. Yeah, I I love this is quote um, from a book that's one of my favorite of all time from this guy who's way smarter than I am, but he says that, um, man, the grace of the gospels for us, even on Mondays, mm. like even on our most difficult days that we get to experience the grace of God is for us, no matter how monumental our screw up was, no matter how dumb the argument was with our spouse or how we didn't, we weren't present with our kids or whatever it is. Right. Like those are just me revealing a little bit about myself right now, but, um, but it's, it's that understanding, like the grace of the gospels for us and what that does Dude, it's like it frees us to offer that grace to others. If like for me, I think about friends who like don't love Jesus and I think about like, oh, dude, like if you could just experience this because it's exhausting in a world where you're trying to be your own God and you're trying to say, I get to determine what I want and, and what when things go wrong, it's never your fault. And that's where it's like, oh no, like the freedom of the gospel is taking ownership for your sin. It's taking ownership and being like, I did sin against you, holy, right God, but you are perfect. I am not. Let me walk in this freedom. You really let God be the judge in that place and walk in the freedom that that he is inviting us into. Hey, listener, thanks for being with us today. Wherever you are today, we hope that this is encouraging to you and helps you feel equipped ready to walk through the text with your group this week. As always, do your own prep. Let the Spirit lead you and know you are the one who is sent by God this week to your family, to your school, to Oracle Park, to your work, to the coffee shop, to the gym, and to soccer practice, wherever your Pray Watch community might be and wherever God invites you to go this week, where you are sent to be the living proof of our loving God. We love you all. We'll catch you next time on the Text Lab.